0: As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors, and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. LGBT. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it, and I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to LeadingSaints.org, and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. Uh, We have virtual summits that we've done, check us out on social media, and also a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So uh, jump into the Leading Saints website. Glad to have you. Today, I have the opportunity to connect with Vicki Clayson. How are you, Vicki?
1: I'm doing so well. Thank you, Kurt.
0: It's good awesome. to be I'm, here. Yeah, I think this is a long time coming. We've been, uh, we, we connected a little bit ago and uh, finally got it arranged to to have this discussion. But maybe give people a little bit of about your background, where you're from and uh, some of that stuff.
1: Sure. Uh, I live in Aubrey, California, which is just east of Fresno, California. We're in the foothills. So, yes, we're susceptible to wildfires, so we'll be talking about that a little bit today. Uh, I grew up in this community, and I feel a sense of belonging. I feel some loyalty and, and a deep um, commitment to making things work in our community, not just in our ward, but our community. Yeah. I've been Relief Society president for four and a half years, exactly. Wow. I was called out during a General Conference, April of 2017. And here we are, General Conference again, and I'm still doing this. <laughs> that's so uh, that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, awesome. And are you uh, a native to California? Or I am. Okay. I did
1: spend some time in Utah, so I know how that works. I know what a ward looks like in Utah. <laughs> Very different than our ward, which covers almost 2,000 square miles.
0: Cool. That's great. And we're going to get in a little bit of, of the story that you experienced. Uh, so you were, uh, you know, when you were called as Relief Society president, uh, doing your Relief Society president thing, What? where does the story start where suddenly you weren't just a, you know, Relief Society president, but you're suddenly uh, charged to, to lead in a, a different way? Where does that story start?
1: Well, if dealing with the Creek Fire. Yeah, um, the Creek oh, Fire. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, That started probably Sunday morning. Uh, The fire actually started Friday night.
0: And this was September of 2020. September
1: of 2020, Labor Day weekend. And um, the skies on Saturday were smoky, but we're used to that. And and it was far away. So I wasn't too worried. Sunday morning, though, the smoke was thick. And we had scheduled a ward uh, council meeting by zoom. And one by one, you know how you have all the little squares that you can see one by one, uh, people would disappear and say, Bishop, I have to go help. So-and-so evacuate Bishop. I need to go check on so-and-so and people did the little squares just kept disappearing. And that's when I knew, um, our ward was in trouble. People were needing to find places to go. And at that point they were going to, uh, lower elevation towns that are in our ward. Uh, Of course, we would find out later that those people had to be evacuated too. So some people were evacuated twice um, because they would go to a lower elevation with ward members and then uh, they were evacuated also. So that's where it began. And that's when, um, actually this sounds really awful, but (laughs) I left, the smoke was really bad and I got in the car with my daughter and I was taking phone calls and text messages, had my notebook, trying to keep track of where everybody was going and what was happening and who was under evacuation orders. And we drove to St. George where the uh, air was clear because I am not—I don't do well in smoke. Mm-hmm. And I—we got a little rental, vacation rental, and I set up what I called evacuation headquarters. I set up my laptop and um, just pretty much. Like always on my laptop, taking text messages and and trying to keep track of where everyone was
0: going. Yeah. So help us understand, like when someone needs to be evacuated, I assume the local uh, government is coming to the door saying or, or through the news or whatever, saying this area is being evacuated and you have so many so long to get out. Is that right?
1: Yes. Ideally, you have. So long to get out. My family got about 20 minutes warning. Okay. They were on a warning evacuation. They they put you on a warning evacuation notice, which means you should probably get out and then you go into a mandatory evacuation. Huh. And our county had a very good system where you could go online and you could get alerts on your phone. So you would know. Um, so yes, my family got an evacuation notice on Monday morning saying, it's a mand- uh, warning, Twenty minutes later, they said mandatory. So they had to scramble. They were pretty much prepared, and I'm talking about my husband and my daughter who lives just next door to us on our property. And
0: and was this before you went to Saint George, or
1: no? It was after.
0: Oh, okay. So I you're in Saint George. So
1: I was. I was like, please get, <laughs> please get yourself packed. I wasn't there to help. Um, I had already packed away things in anticipation of a possible evacuation. So my I wasn't worried about my own safety or my own possessions, but I was worried about my daughter. She has three children and her husband was away at work. And, yeah. and that's how it was for a lot of people. They, they were on a warning for so long and you do what you can. And then the mandatory evacuation comes and you need to get out. And sometimes actually in the case of my family, the a sheriff came and knocked on the door. And that does happen mm-hmm. quite often. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night. You see the, lights flashing and this they have speakers you know the bullhorns saying please evacuate it yeah. comes in a lot of different ways but you you pretty much know when they're serious that you need to get out
0: so i'm just trying to put myself in your shoes as a really excited president suddenly i would say your entire ward is told that they need to evacuate right and Some people maybe have the means to drive to St. George and get a rental property. Other people have family they can go to. Other people have nobody, I would imagine, right?
1: I am so glad that you are intuitive about the really complex situations created by this. We were actually, our ward was evacuated in different phases. They had different evacuation zones. So we were able to keep up on people here and there. But I have to just say how thankful I am for a stake Presidency, Release Society stake presidency, and our uh, stake president, who had seen what was happening and immediately asked the members of our stake in Fresno, far away from the fire, not in danger of any evacuation orders, asked them to please volunteer to house people who didn't have a place to go. And he was able to house. He had the capacity, able, our state president had the ability to house every single member of our ward if we needed. Uh, we didn't need it. Like you said, a lot of people found family. Uh, some people had insurance that put them up in hotels if they could find one, because we had a total of 30,000 people in our community evacuated. So hotels were booked. Um, somehow we made it work, but we couldn't have done it without members of our stake volunteering their homes. And we live in a rural area, ranches and farms, livestock. We had members of the state come up with uh, trailers and uh, uh, trucks and hauled livestock down and and housed them on their own property.
0: Oh, wow. Because that's their livelihood, right?
1: Yes. Oh, it was, it was incredible, the amount of livestock that was evacuated from our community. Just incredible.
0: So uh, a good portion of your stake was not an, under threat of the fire.
1: Correct. Okay. Correct.
0: And so a lot of those happened. members just said, Hey, I got an extra bedroom, uh, send somebody here. And, and I imagine like, that's what you're mainly coordinating. Is that right? Yes, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. So what we did is we would contact each member of the ward. We would let them know just in case they didn't, we have a lot of elderly people to let them know you were on a, uh, just to let you know, you're on a warning evacuation notice. Uh, let us know how we can help you. Uh, if you need a place to go, please let us know. Uh, please let us know where you're going. We, uh, so we had a spreadsheet and that's the thing I would um, recommend for leaders. It's, it's possible to get a spreadsheet from um, the tools that we have, the member tools. Mm-hmm. It's kind, it was kind of clunky and didn't really work for what we needed. So we created our own and we kept track of where the territory that you were living in the evacuation status, where they were going. Um, and we tried to just keep track of everyone that way to make sure they were all in a safe place.
0: Yeah. So you went into the system and you can export the, the role pretty much right mm-hmm. with address and everything and import it into a spreadsheet. And you did that, but it wasn't awesome.
1: It wasn't awesome.
0: Okay. It,
1: it, um, because, and probably it's unique to us, but, um, We have a lot of addresses. If we sorted by addresses, uh, we have a lot of addresses that tell us that someone lives in, say, Clovis, California, but they actually live closer to Prather, California. So we just, it was just easier for me. I just made my own
0: spreadsheet. Yeah, and so, and you just manually entered that data or? I did. Okay, interesting.
1: I was in St. George, and that's what I did <laughs> nice. while I was keeping track and we kept it on uh, keeping track of everyone. We had text messages going between me and the Bishop and the elders quorum president. They were receiving information from ministering brothers and sisters. If we didn't have a strong culture of ministering in our ward, I don't know how we could have done this mm. because they were awesome. They were, everyone reported on each other. I, called one sister that I was just particularly concerned about. Um, she was older and her husband wasn't doing well. And I said, I just want to make sure how you're doing before I could even get the words out. She said, I just want you to know that so-and-so is okay. And so-and-so is okay. And she listed all of the sisters that she had on her, you know, assigned to her as a ministering sister. She wanted me to know that they were all where they were going, and what was happening and I I had to say, but what about you? And she said, oh, and I also know my neighbor. <laughs> what about you? And she finally said, oh, yeah, well, I'm okay. I'm at my daughter's and I'm doing fine. And we're yeah. both here safe and sound. So that's the kind of culture we have in our ward that we look after each other.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned this in these principles that you, you sent me that, that the first one being everyone, everyone must be counted. And that's really what you were initially trying to do is like, how can we organize this in a spreadsheet so that we don't let anybody fall through the cracks and whatnot. So anything else that you would address as far as this principle of making sure everybody is accounted for?
1: Everybody is accounted for, even those people that don't want to be counted. Hmm. And so I had to make some phone calls to people that I knew didn't want to hear from me and uh, didn't always get answers and didn't always have friendly responses, but I just felt driven. And I say, I, that's my experience, but I know the Bishop and Elders Quorum President did the same. And we try to reach every single person. If their name was on our rosters, then we tried to make sure that they knew we were here and we could help them if nice. they needed it.
0: And then, so you're mainly just calling, 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 and a team of people calling people and, and just make sure everybody's accounted for, right?
1: Yes. Using ministering brothers and sisters, using neighbors, friends, we did whatever we could did we catch everybody one hundred percent we did not, but we we did very well yeah, yeah. did
0: you feel at all limited you know just be, by being sort of out of town or was it sort of nice that you could have a, a headquarters there to handle all that
1: it was a blessing yeah it was a blessing. I was out of the fray. if I was here, I would have been driving around trying to help people pack um so it was a blessing to be. Kind of removed from it so I could really focus on um, reaching out to people by phone and by text, by email, however means we yeah. could. Facebook Messenger, we used all means possible.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, and I'm just trying to pick out those principles or uh, I'm just, you know, in the future when a leader suddenly finds themselves in this crisis, uh, whatever it is, to maybe think, okay, we need to set up sort of a command and control center. Uh, where one person or a team of people can be in just calling people, right? Because it's so, I would, you know, like you said, if I was in that situation, I feel like I'm going to get out there. I got to find these people. But sometimes it, to have a team of people that are calling is going to be uh, well worth it.
1: Yeah, I think it needs to be organized so that you have one central place where that information is going to be collected and recorded. And so I, I, I manage that uh, uh, quite a bit. But After I had my initial document created, I put it on um, Google Docs so we could share it with the stake president and uh, the bishop, elders quorum, any president, anybody that needed it. And we all then worked on it as as information came in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was ongoing. And there was one point there was one point when I was alone because Bishop had and this is the blessing. I didn't have to be evacuated. But Bishop had to be evacuated. The elders quorum yep. president had to be evacuated. And at one point, and it was late at night when it happened, it was unexpected. A community that seemed to be safe. And everybody thought, well, good thing we live here because we're safe. Suddenly, the the winds shifted. And, um, yeah, I was. they were evacuated. Unexpected, middle of the night. And then the stake presidency stepped in with the Relief Society, Stake Relief Society presidency and helped record things. So, yeah, kept going.
0: Yeah. So, and that's interesting. Like, I'm just trying to think, you know, and each natural disaster is sort of different, right? Maybe this, if it was an earthquake situation, be a little bit different because that sneaks up on you pretty quick. Right. But, um, but just thinking like identifying certain people in the ward that maybe they don't, they, they don't have close family nearby that can get off site and start that, you know, focus of, tracking down people, because I would imagine if you're there, I want to make sure my brother's okay, my sister yeah. and my aunt, and, you know, and so you can't blame them for doing that, but somebody who can maybe fall into that position and, and get called is, uh, is helpful. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So and the next principle is the importance of gathering anything you haven't mentioned about gathering or.
1: Yes, it was just really heartbreaking. Our initial document, um, we finished up see Sunday night, I think I finished it up and put it online. And the uh, elders corn president texted me and he said, I'm looking at all these names of our ward members who are no longer in their homes. And he said, I'm just, I just want to cry. And I felt the same way because they were gone. They weren't in our ward boundaries. They weren't in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a loss of this sense of community when you can come together and face a crisis together Mm. that looks different when you're scattered. And some people did go with family in different States and different cities all across California. Um, we were scattered. So it felt, um, different. And I, and I realized it's because these word boundaries mean something. It means we're a community and, we're meant to be together. We're meant to be able to meet together and having that taken away from us literally and scattered, it, it reinforced to me the, how important that is, that sense of community.
0: So it sounds like the first priority, obviously making everybody, making sure everybody's safe. And then the second is like offering strength through community and gathering, right? And so how did you go about, like, what did that look like on the ground?
1: You know, that was really difficult. And finally, um, I decided to, uh, with the help, again, a bishop and elders quorum presidency, we um, I, I started sending out uh, text messages and, and using Facebook to let people know where we're at. And one of the fun things that we did is on Facebook, I said, okay let's have everybody report in. Where are you? What's happening? And just hearing from everyone, well, I'm at my aunt's house. And we had people respond that we never see at church. And, and of course, I just invite them, we we keep them on their, the Facebook page anyway. Yeah. And, um, and this is like a
0: Facebook group, award
1: right? Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it was just nice to have that contact. So I tried to more emails, and I think about that time or shortly thereafter. I I began a, a different way of emailing because because in the past I usually just send a little page announcements. Um, my secretary does that, and so we created a, something a little bit more friendly, more color. I, I use Mailchimp and crazy, created something that I hoped would make people feel like you know we're communicating, we're still together. And so I think communication is key, really, just to let people know we're here. And then the stake uh, put together a couple of nights where we could go to the different buildings in the stake and collect items that evacuees might need, hmm. like you might have forgot your toothpaste, or, yes. or you know, our ward. This seems silly, but our ward remembers this huge pile of pillows that people collected, and for some reason. We were just so grateful for those pillows because we were not we didn't you don't think to bring your pillow when you're evacuated. That takes a lot of room. And we were we needed more pillows. So we yeah. were happy. So that was another way to gather also is for us to come and and get and find those things that we might have missed. Um, and I'm saying we I was able I returned home after not too long being in St. George. I just couldn't stay yeah. after I after we had pretty much located everyone. I came and wanted to be with family. I just, just couldn't stay away. And so I went to some of those gatherings at the stake center and
0: different. And do you have any knowledge as far as the, like some of those supplies and things, did church humanitarian step into and was that a place for them or where did this, I mean, if you needed a pillow or toothpaste, like, where did that come from?
1: (laughs) Our stake, I'm going to get emotional. Our stake was so supportive. Um, I've heard stories of people fighting over linens in Target because they wanted to donate those to evacuees. So our ward had first pick at, it was just from our stake members, that's all. And they gathered so many things that, uh, and our ward had first pick and we took what we needed and the people who lost their homes had private shopping time And then uh, the rest went to other evacuees in the, in the, in the Valley.
0: That's awesome. Really cool. Anything else around the concept of gathering that you seem, seem to work.
1: For us to work, uh, we did have some community gatherings. We were actually under, you know, pandemic lockdown in California. Mm -hmm. We weren't even supposed to be in our, we weren't supposed to have more than eight people in our buildings at a time at one point. So we kind of just didn't pay attention to some of those things. We did meet outside, and we tried to do what we could, but we had a lot of people scattered. So our our gatherings were very small, but our community had a gathering, a huge gathering of everyone in the community, and a lot of the ward members went and found each other, and it just felt really good. So I, I somehow to get work around whatever the obstacles are, it's important for people to gather. And I think because we didn't have as many opportunities to gather as we could have, we're now in the kind of the healing and recovery stage. I think it would have helped us heal and recover faster. Hmm. Had we been able to group together in a ward meeting directly after the crisis and, and just talk about our experiences and, and know that we weren't alone in some yeah. of the emotional trauma that some of us experienced.
0: You know, I have some close friends up in Alaska and uh, a few years ago, they had a pretty significant earthquake there. And they said that following fast and testimony meeting, like it, there's this feeling like everybody had to sort of stand up and tell their earthquake story. Right. But as human beings there's sort of this healing nature of coming together as a community and saying, this is what I experienced. What did you experience? And then it just creates this natural empathy that heals so much. Right. So it's almost like creating that venue. And, you know, now maybe with less restrictions or whatnot, you know, you can maybe gather people more closely or in, in rooms or split them up in groups and say, just talk about your experience, because that can be extremely healing.
1: It it can be. And one thing that I did um not really anticipate, uh, after everything kind of settled down, um, I thought, we're, we're done. Yay. We got through that. What I didn't realize is how many people really needed that time to gather. They need more tools to heal. Um, we have an, um, we have people who, uh, when there's smoke in the air now, it it, it is um, frightening to them. Yeah. Or when there's a helicopter that goes overhead. So, uh, or in a number of people uh, are hyper vigilant about their fire safety around their home. There's just a lot, there's some, I, I call it emotional trauma. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. That comes when you are forced out of your home and you don't know if you're going to have a home to return to. Yeah,
0: that's part of it. It's not just leaving your home for a few days. You don't know if it's going to be ash by the time it comes back, by the time you come back, right? Exactly. Wow, that's heavy. Yes. Um, next principle is, uh, you just you had the, you talk about having these moments of of inadequacy as a leader. I mean, this is a this is a serious thing that you can't just you know you can't <laughs> read a few leadership books and and be prepared for. But that you felt that that grace of God uh, making up the difference as uh, you know in, in your experience. Tell us about that.
1: Oh, incredible! Uh, I there were a number of times my my daughter was with me at evacuation headquarters and in St. George. And there were a number of times I just said, I I just can't. I don't know if I can do this. Why am I Relief Society president right now? I don't have, I am not qualified for this. Um, But something inside me just kept me going. And one of it is, one of the things that kept coming to my mind is that um, these people are important to Heavenly Father. And I just felt His loving hands, embrace me and is um, loving arms around me and and just knowing that you just go one step at a time and you just keep going. You don't stop. You just keep going. And also remembering I'm not alone. There's a bishop. There's an elders quorum president. There's stake presidencies. There's a release size stake presidency, ministering brothers and sisters. And we're never alone in the gospel. And we're never alone as leaders. It may seem lonely, but we're not alone. And so um, I I learned that despite my inadequacies, somehow, some way, the Lord will give each one of us what we need to get through a crisis or a natural disaster or whatever the case may be, whatever it may be. Um, And I've learned that in my four and a half years and a lot of different cases when I have to solace um, people after we, we bef- not too long before the fire, we lost a mother and her children in a car accident. Mm-hmm. That was pretty traumatic. And I thought, well, what, I just, there's nothing, what can you do? What can you say? And somehow, you know, you, you're given what you need to get through it somehow. Is, was it perfect? Could I have done things differently? Of course, but overall, I just felt personally like Heavenly Father was not going to let me let anyone down.
0: Yeah. So I'm. I know in my own religious or in my own leadership experience. You know, in hindsight, I look back and think, "Oh, I, I dropped the ball there and there." And I'll, pro- if I did it again, I'd probably handle it a little bit differently. So just in the context of this emergency, I mean, this may be a vulnerable question, but did you feel like you dropped the ball anywhere that you would maybe do it differently if uh, if it happened again?
1: If I had to do it again, I think I would have um, been stronger about communicating to ward members about what was happening in our ward. Hmm. Um, I didn't realize how important that was until I just started doing a few things and, and people responded, thank you. We had no idea what was going on. Hmm. And so to let people know in the process of what was going on. And I think maybe, um, being a little bit more creative about how we could have gathered together in the middle of a pandemic,
0: uh,
1: we needed that. And I, I know that more now than I did then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Really helpful. So I'm, and then is on the word level, like, uh, has this changed how you prepare or, I mean, cause this type of thing could probably happen again. Right. Uh, and, uh, any anything on the ward level you're you're doing differently to prepare or anticipate something like this?
1: Yes, actually, we're a little bit more mindful. we've We actually had a ward council about this not too long ago about um, revisiting our ward uh, emergency plan and to use more of the resources that are given to us through the church and through uh, local communities, Red Cross. You know, I had no idea what they did. Now I do. And I think I would be more inclined to look towards them for help a little sooner. Um, also, we have a, well, we have a number of agencies, but it was maybe just a matter of months ago that someone from uh, the church um, just wanted to follow up on the Creek Fire, and she contacted me, and gave me links to a number of resources that I really didn't know existed hmm. that can help award prepare for things. Um, but I, I think, um, I think I would really, really make sure that ministering brothers and sisters know their brothers and sisters well enough that when there's a crisis that comes, they can say, Hey, they've got a horse trailer or, um, They're going to need help with this or or just have the confidence to contact someone that we might not see at church, but you still know them because you've been ministering to them in some way or another. So I think ministering is is a huge factor, too. So I don't know that I would do anything different there except maybe um, have a better way of communicating again where they could communicate directly with me instead of through, uh, you know. Bishop Elders Quorum, we had so many filters by the time we got information, but they seemed, mm-hmm. it seemed to work. So Yeah,
0: that's really helpful. Well, uh, any other concept or point that we haven't touched on, to, or do we cover it pretty well? I, th-
1: I think we've covered it well. I would just um, like to say how much my heart goes out to those in California who are in the middle of wildfire yeah. um, evacuations right now, even as we speak. Wow and who are going through the same things, similar to what we went through. Uh, I just have a testimony of the Savior's hand in our lives, and the those who lost homes in our ward are seeing these miracles that um, their lives, I, I don't want to say have been blessed, but they've been blessed. The Lord looks after them. Uh, there's a picture that I have of Uh, a totally burned home from one of our ward members. But you can see clearly all the cans of food storage. Mm -hmm. She was prepared with her food storage, but it was all gone. But because she was prepared, I think the Lord blessed her and her family, and they are safe in a new home, uh, something that they didn't think could happen things transpired that made that possible. And I think that's the same with leaders, that we can do all we can to prepare. We may not eat that food storage, or we may not follow that ward emergency plan. But the fact that we've made our efforts, made those efforts to do that, I think the Lord blesses us, and then gives us whatever else we need to make things happen.
0: Awesome. Well, Vicky, the final question I have for you is: as you reflect on your time as a leader, how has being a leader made you a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: I think the fact that I—I I think I'm a better at listening to His voice. I think that will be something I will keep with me forever. Is being able to feel the inspiration of our Heavenly Father. I feel closer to Christ because I know that I have heard His voice, and I have heard and felt His inspiration in matters that I am not qualified to handle, and I have no other explanation. So I know He's there, and um, I have a firm testimony of Christ, and that's why we're all here, to bring others to Christ.
0: and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org contact and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library.